Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Welcome to another show. Thanks as ever for listening and for being here. It comes in the middle of, I guess, what you would say is a relatively, is dull the right word? Perhaps you might say uninspiring. I don't want to say boring because, you know, it's it's never boring, really. Sometimes it is, but it's not really boring. I just mean that, let's say you have a sandwich. You go to the football delicatessen and you say to them, hello, I would like a Reading sandwich. And they say, what kind of bread would you like with that? And you say, well, the bread would be, well, one, one Middlesbrough and one Sunderland. That's the bread, please. And they'll say, do you want anything, uh, you know, on that salt and pepper? Do you want some mayonnaise or mustard or anything like that? I say, no, just just the Reading with the Sunderland and Borough bread. And that's it. That is what I'm going to have this week from the Football Delicatessen. And you would say it's probably like not the best thing that you could get there. It's not the worst. If you're hungry, it'll do. It'll satisfy you. But, you know. Borough game didn't go particularly well. Then there was the Reading game in midweek, which which went. One of those games, wasn't it? You, you watch it, you were either there or you watched a, an illegal stream, and then it was over, and you didn't really pay it any much thought after that, unless, of course, you had to write about it a bit. But since then, I haven't really thought a great deal about it. I'm not trying to downplay the remarkable achievement of winning 2-0 against Reading at home in the EFL Cup. Just, you know, it's not like, it's not up there with the greatest, most exciting, inspiring things that football can serve us up. Now, of course, we've got to go to Sunderland tomorrow, Saturday, whenever it is you're listening to this. We've got to go there. And they're a team that are, they're really struggling. They're really having a difficult time. I'm just going to have a look at the league table here and see where they are. As ever, my preparation is first class. Here it is. Sunderland, bottom of the table, nine games played, 1-0, drawn two, lost seven, scored six goals, have conceded 16 goals. They sit bottom, bottom, completely, and utterly bottom of the table. And we're going to have to talk about that game a little bit later on. I've got a feeling about it, but we can discuss that a little bit later on in the in the show. So what's coming on the show today? We have got, it's quite booky. There's some bookish stuff going on on today's show. I'm going to be talking to a man who is producing consistently the best football cartoons slash illustrations anywhere. Well, that's coming up, and he's got a book coming out, so we're going to give you copies of the book, a chance for you to win a couple of copies of that book. That's coming up. We've also managed to secure the rights to uh, an upcoming biography by a former Arsenal player. It's only been published in his native language at first, but we've done a deal with the publishers and we can do some audio excerpts of that book. That is coming up a little bit later on as well. So that's all very exciting. And what else? I don't know. I'm just going to make it up as I go along. I suppose we should talk a little bit about the the uh, Reading game, uh, given that it ha- occurred in midweek and we do tend to look back at what happened in midweek on this podcast before we look ahead to what's happening at the weekend. Um... Two goals for uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. That's good for him and for the team, obviously, because we won 2-0. So he was the guy who scored the winner and then the extra winner. That's nice for him. 
I mean, I, I think there are positive signs about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain at this moment in time. There are still things, you know, that he could he could work on, like when he gets into a position to cross the ball, what he should do, in my opinion anyway, you might disagree with this and tactical experts with their expected crosses, etc., might disagree with this, but I feel that what he should do is cross the ball into the box in in a sort of dangerous-ish position, maybe somewhere between the the penalty spot and the and the six-yard box, maybe, maybe there, and not hit the ball as far across to the other side of the pitch as he can, as high as he can. I think that's something he could he could do better. Might take a bit of practice, but I feel, you know, quite strongly about this. That if I were to sit him down tomorrow and say, look, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, congratulations on your five goals so far this season. You have scored more goals this season than you have in any other season previously for Arsenal, and that is encouraging and it's positive. Keep up the good work, young man. I know you're someone who suffers from a bit of self-doubt, that when things are going badly, you get introspective and you probably overthink things and that affects your confidence. But try and focus on the good things that you're doing and you're adding end product so far this season and, and that's a real step forward. Like, congratulations. Keep it up, but like, stop fucking hitting crosses that far the other side of... What are you doing? What's it? Why? Why do you why do you do that? Who did, did someone tell you to do that? It's not, it's not a t- tactic, is it? I mean, no. I think he could do better there. But you can see, even after he scored the first goal against uh, Reading the other night, you could see that he he became a bit more confident. There was more confidence in him. It sort of flowed like if he was a video game. the The confidence meter would have gone up a bit. So. I suppose we have to uh, look at the positives from that point of view. He could be doing the bad crossing and also hitting the shots out of the ground and stuff. Like, he nearly did one of those the other night as well, but, you know, the ball did bounce and bobble. So that was that was a real positive. Carl Jenkinson is back. He's so happy. He's like, an, he's like a little Arsenal puppy, isn't he? He just loves being out there playing for Arsenal because he's an Arsenal fan and we can all identify with that. He's, he's living our dream, all of our dreams scampering up and down that right-hand side from fullback, that little puppy engine of his just, you know, bombing away, churning over, ticking over. It never runs out. Although I'd say when he gets back to the dressing room, he's just like a... He's so tired. But that was great to see him back. He hasn't played for us since May 2014, and then, of course, he's been at West Ham. Good, good thinking avoiding West Ham this season, Carl, because it's a bit of a war zone there. The old London Olympic Stadium, it's only going to get worse when they roll in the, you know, the tanks and the armed militia to keep the crowd on side. So you did well seeing into the future and deliberately snagging your cruciate ligament back in January so you wouldn't have to, to deal with that. I, I like it. I like it. But he, he did well, and it's good to see him back. Um, you would ask, what the hell has happened to Matthew Debushi? I mean, you would ask if you cared. But it's very hard to care. I was trying to care there for a bit. Didn't work. Didn't work. Glad to see uh, Jenkinson back. Rob Holding looked good. I mean, I've invested emotionally in young central defenders before, and it hasn't really worked out for me. So I'm I'm staying a bit cautious on this one. I could see, you know, I could see it happening. Me and Rob, I could see something going on there. But uh, it's only been four games, five games. I've got a. 
I've got to just take my time on this one before I really go all in. But he did look very promising. Um, The Jeff got a run out. And then, of course, there was the bad stuff, the bad thing that happened to uh, Lucas Perez. Now, the news that broke yesterday was that he's facing a number of weeks out with uh, ankle ligament damage. Could be six weeks. Don't quite know yet. Arsene Wenger will probably update tomorrow at his press conference. Hopefully not as bad as that, but it did look bad when it happened. Uh, he went straight down the tunnel to get some uh, some treatment rather than go on the bench. And uh, that would be a bit of a shame. I know Olivier Giroud is back, but this is the whole point of having our deep squad. We want, we want as many players fit and healthy and competing as possible. And that was the, I, I guess, annoying part about uh, the Reading game, apart from, you know, having to sit through the running game but uh, I don't know who that guy was but he was just like what was his name Gervishnerf Gernakrum Glengenstein Gilmergarf I can't remember his name hang on I'm going to look it up here and the relax look at the running squad here Denzel Gravenbirch I don't think he even got booked for that tackle and it was pretty snide you have to say Sort of left the old studs on the back of uh, Lucas's Achilles slash ankle there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no need for that. That is going to make, uh, obviously, Lucas's life a, a bit more difficult because, you know, he's been finding it hard to get into the team, as it is, because we've been playing well and Alexis is doing well. And now Olivier Giroud is back. And if he's going to be out for six weeks from now, you're talking, what, mid-December, maybe? So he comes back then, and Danny Welbeck won't be too far behind. Arsene Wenger said he could be back in January, but I think realistically we're looking at February, March for Danny Welbeck to start making an impact. But, you know, for a new player to come to a team and then get injured, it's almost kind of what happened to uh, Matthew Debushi, isn't it? If you cared. Nobody, nobody. No, but you know what I mean? He came, and then he got injured, and then someone else took his place, and, and then he couldn't get back in the team. I'm not sure there's a young hotshot striker ready to uh, take Lucas's place, though. That's that's the only thing. I don't, you know, see a Hector Bellerin up front anywhere in the squad. Uh, so maybe you know he's got that going for him. But look, hopefully it won't be won't be too bad. But that was that. So we go through to the next round. We play Southampton, who we played last season, if I remember, or the uh, season before that in the. Uh, the Capital One Cup or whatever it was called back then. I think Alexis scored a free kick and then they won the game 2-1. So that's the next round, somewhere towards the uh, the end of November. Uh, but, you know, we've got plenty of time to go before then and an interlull, of course, to go before then and uh, uh, quite a bit of football, actually, uh, to happen between now and then. So uh, we'll put that to one side. So let's move on. And I'm delighted to welcome to the show now somebody whose work I'm sure you've seen uh, either via Twitter, via the stuff he's doing for The Guardian. His stuff gets shared all over the place. And he's got a brand new book out called The Illustrated History of Football. Well, it's coming out next week. So uh, I'm very happy to welcome to the show David Squires. Hi there. Hello. Thanks very much. Let's talk just before we get started about the book and everything else. How did you get started in the the world of cartooning? What was it that, that sort of drew you to that as a, a younger man, I guess? <laughs> Younger man is a is a long time ago, so I'll see if I can remember back that far. I, I've just always enjoyed drawing, right from when I was like a little kid, and um, sort of inevitably you, you start drawing things about you know your hobbies and interests. Uh, what I used to do was fill reams of um, like notebooks with 
illustrations of football kits, either fantasy football kits or or we just copy them from sort of the magazines like shoot and match and that kind of thing. But, Mm. um, you know, in the end I I started drawing sort of cartoons for my friend's amusement. And, um, it's probably around the time when I was sort of 15 or 16 discovered Viz, a discarded copy of Viz in a, um, (laughs) I was actually skiving off swimming at school and, uh, chanced upon this, this copy of Viz and, um, uh, God, I, I just thought I was going to burst. It was a it hall- was, hallelujah moment almost, was it? it? It really was, yeah. And at the same time as well, like fanzine, football fanzine culture was emergent um, and blossoming in England as well. So um, like the two things combined just meant that, uh, you know, I, I turned my my interest there. And I, I actually studied as um, as an illustrator and, you know, for the past 20 odd years, I've been sort of eking out uh, a profession there with, you know, success and long fallow periods as well. Um, and it's probably about, what, four or five years ago that I decided to um, go back to, to the, the cartoon making. And it was really born of the fact that I, I didn't really see much out there that reflected the way that, that I felt about about football and um it was um it was just a way of me expressing sort of some of the frustrations i had with with the game and but also sort of celebrating some of the sort of silly stuff as well and um if people have seen my cartoons then they'll probably recognize that there are some serious points but i also like to be you know a bit daft as well yeah i mean there (laughs) there is a there's great scope for that when it comes to football i remember when i started this website and i was thinking i was trying to find a website that i could learn how to do web design with and i was thinking what is it that i can do that will always there'll always be something to update there'll always be something to write about always something to talk about yeah uh and it struck me that that football and obviously my niche then is arsenal but there there is always something there's an endless supply (laughs) of material for someone like yourself who's yeah. looking for an angle there is a conveyor belt uh, a steady conveyor belt of people who are willing to do stupid things say <laughs> stupid things behave in ridiculous ways uh and i don't just mean like individuals i mean organizations uh, mm. certain sections of, of the media and um yeah you know all of that sort of uh, hype that that surrounds football i like to sort of poke fun at that a bit and I suppose the circus that surrounds football and I suppose for you as well with a big club like Arsenal there, there's always things going on and even though you've had the, the same manager for 20 years you know it's, it's still something that provides discussion the whole time and I love drawing Arsene Wenger I hope he sticks around for another 20 years <laughs> or at the very least is replaced by someone else I like to draw so who's maybe, that? Gunnosaurus? Um, Mate, well, yeah, yeah, the Gunnosaurus finally gets, uh, you know, the recognition he deserves. Or, um, yeah, Harry Redknapp. Oh, God, no thanks. <laughs> that would go down well. <laughs> no thanks. I mean, in fairness to, to Arsenal, we've provided you with uh, a big chunk of material down the years. But what I like, what I really like about what you do is that uh, for the most part, even when you're sticking the knife in, uh, I don't know whether this is a good thing to say or not, but you've got one hand on the shoulder and you're smiling in our faces at the same time. You know, you don't feel necessarily. It's 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 almost kind when you do it. Yeah, 
I very much like to have my cake and eat it. I mean, uh, <laughs> like I don't, I, unless I'm really going for someone, mm. I, I don't want the cartoons to be, you know, spiteful. I wouldn't want sure. someone who's the subject of a cartoon to, to see it. Um, and, uh, you know, to be really seriously hurt by it, unless, it, you know, the, the targets I'm going for, like I say, are, are people I do want to, um, <laughs> wound emotionally. Sure. Say so like, uh, the, the one that I did yesterday was about, um, the son's reaction to the Gary Lineker stuff. And, um, I kind of, you know, I took the gloves off for that one and just really went for it. I could probably draw the cartoons quickly if I didn't do it with gloves on, but you know, <laughs> I'm not really sure where I'm going with this analogy. That's uh, no, I know what you mean, on. though. I think I think you know you're looking at what happens overall in football, and there's I think there's a distinction to be made between let's say the people that are a bit bumbling or a bit foolish. And people yeah. who do have a really nasty agenda, and obviously somebody like the Sun yeah. over the years has proven themselves to be, look, if you, if you behave the way they behave, then you set yourself up as a target for the kind of stuff that you did. And I think that Lineker cartoon was was absolutely brilliant. And I think it's it, it speaks to just the wider perception of what they did, that obviously as an Arsenal fan, Gary Lineker is not my favorite person in the world, but immediately <laughs> you're on side with him because of, because of uh, the Sun. It's like the enemy... Yeah. Of my enemy stuff. I mean, before we come back to some of that, I, yeah. I did want to ask you a little bit about your your process and how you do your cartoons and whether you start with a drawing or whether you start with an idea or a caption or 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 how does it work? And are you do you work yeah. digitally or do you draw things on paper and scan? How does it work in that way? Uh, so I start off with like typical working week. It, so now I'm it's. Thursday evening here in Australia at the moment mm. and I'm starting to think about next week's cartoon so it just means keep an eye on the news and um, you know the internet as well seeing what people are, are talking about on Twitter and, and Facebook and what have you and um, you asked whether I do anything digitally I really should but I don't I have about five notepads scattered around in various places with sort of ideas and um, sometimes like a turn of phrase will come to me and, um, you know, I'll, I'll sketch it down. And then on a Monday morning, I gather it all together and I try to, um, cobble it into something of a loose script. Um, and on a good week, like this week with the, with the Gary Lineker thing, there's like one major story that I think, okay, I can really get my teeth into that. Yeah. Uh, other weeks where, you know, maybe there's not much really going on. I'll try to sort of, I'll, I'll look across what's happened sort of maybe in the Premier League over the course of one weekend. And then you'll find sort of more of a collection of sort of eight individual jokes rather than mm. one sort of long topic. Uh, and yeah, and it's all hand drawn. So then I, I sit down and it usually takes me. Uh, I budget my time for it to be about an hour per square. Um, so all up, it probably takes about 12 hours to, to draw on. And then I fix up the mistakes on uh, uh, using digital software. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually just rubbing out lines and the typos. The, the Guardian are great, actually. <laughs> I send it off to them and they, they always come back to me and said, yeah, I mean, they let me know that the bits that uh, that I need to change Um things that have spelled wrong and mm. things that don't match the house style. And they pretty much let me do whatever I want. It's it's very rare that, that they come back and say that maybe the legal team have a bit of a problem with something I've said. I think I can 
can only really count three or four times that that's happened. Uh, one actually involved Jamie Vardy. I was gutted that had, that one had to come out, but the rest of it. Uh, you can, yeah, can you tell us what it was? No, I can't actually remember. I think it was actually a direct quote of what he said in that casino. But um, right. I think at the at the time, I think it was kind of a bit of a hot topic. So uh, mm. they uh, they asked me to to just change that. But I mean, that's that's one cartoon in. Uh, I've been doing it for two years now, so sure. I've probably I've done maybe a hundred for them and maybe 50 or 60 for Guardian Australia as well. Um, so yes, it's very rare. I have to change anything. I'm pretty mm. lucky there. I mean, I think you have this really, I, I'm not going to call it a gift because that sounds wrong, but you've got this talent for just spotting what is the thing that like a huge amount of people will, will connect with. Um, even if you're doing okay. like eight jokes, but I, I think the one that stands out for me was the, the, the purple dildo cartoon. Um, the progression of this man, you know, from school to college to learning how to be a journalist to learning how to be a broadcaster to standing outside a football ground having a purple dildo thrust in his ear on transfer deadline day. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. The irony with that one is that my career has pretty much been defined by that cartoon as well. So, uh, you know, I was the same, you know, I could redraw that, that cartoon with me sort of going to school and university and then kind of cobbling it together a career. But it's <laughs> when it comes down to the success of that purple dildo cartoon, because that's one of the things that I think the, the Guardian noticed. Yeah. Um, because that when I put up on Twitter, that, that just went went wild and um, they got in contact with me long enough after that and, and asked if I'd like to do some work for them. So, well, there you yeah, go. look, I'm... Yeah, I owe it all to um, was it Everton? I think it was Everton, wasn't it? Um, I can't remember. Whoever the Everton fan was, yeah, who 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 took he stuck that um, marital aid in the ear <laughs> of the reporter. Then thank you, yeah, thank you for your uh, purple dildo contribution to your uh, uh, your yeah. uh, cartooning career. So look, let's talk a little bit about the book, um, which I have an advanced copy of, and I've been reading uh, and enjoying, and it's an illustrated history of football. Right. Was was that your idea, or did somebody come to you with the idea? I'd had a loose idea for um, probably about five or six years of doing something around the history of the World Cup, um, just because it's sort of neatly cut into mm. into convenient chapters, you know. Um, and uh, I was approached by a publisher who had seen my stuff in the Guardian, and you know we went back and forth a little bit, and they were keen on, or keen for me to to um, write and draw some stuff about things outside of the World Cup as well, so I could encompass you know domestic football and other bits and pieces. So I started off with a with a long list of um, like the key the, the key moments from football history. And I, I whittled it down to, I think it's 91 cartoons in the end, um, like individual stories from, from football history. Mm. Um, I was thinking earlier about how many Arsenal ones that there are in there. There's, uh, there's, there's quite a few in there. There's, there's some, uh, some good references, all right. Yeah, there's one about the Invincibles, of course. Um, yeah, the Invincible season, and there, there's a few Arsene Wengers in there too. Uh, in particular, one <laughs> <laughs> he features in a Mourinho one, which is um, both amusing and disturbing. Oh, yeah. The imagery of that one, I will leave people <laughs> to discover for themselves. But it, <laughs> it's a disturbing. Yeah, yeah, Mourinho, like you've never <laughs> seen him or thought a, about him before. <laughs> we'll leave that one as a, as a surprise. Yeah, <laughs> if, uh, if people are getting it for Christmas, then um, then yeah, there's, there's a nice moment that will will, you know, potentially ruin your Christmas lunch. So uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can have that on me. So, um, um, 
So yeah, I I'd sliced it into these sort of ninety odd cartoons, and um, yeah, I've been working away since about this time last year, um, and I think I finally finished only about three weeks ago. It's like one of those things where um, you just need to know when to when to stop and, and when to walk away. Yeah. And uh, l- luckily, I mean, the, now it's gone to the printer, so I can't change it now. But um, I'm almost too scared to look at it again in case there's something that I think, oh, well, I'd, I'd change that or, you know, I would have written that differently. But, um, but yeah, it's there now. And I am happy with it. So um, go out and buy it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did like your bit in the, in the intro where you said, uh, you know, I hope you like it. It took me ages. um so yeah it it does yeah well i mean if you're talking 12 hours you know for for one cartoon and there's you know 190 odd cartoons in this and look i mean it is i'm halfway through it um i love the 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 way you can throw in these little cultural references uh you know i've spotted father ted in there uh david bowie che guevara uh some great stuff and just like what i would say as well is that um each cartoon is accompanied by by a page of text, more or less, sort of describing the scenario that you're about to draw the cartoon, and the writing is really, is really excellent as well. So, um, oh, great. Thanks. I think that really sort of adds to the package. I mean, was it? Did you uh, do a lot of writing, or have you done a lot of writing? Or? Um, you know, I'd done some stuff for um, for fanzines, and I'd written a couple of pieces for When Saturday Comes in the past, and it was my my day job to to write, but not really in a in a creative way, you know. Um, mm. but it was, was a hobby and it, w- it was probably only when I started drawing the cartoons again, seriously, that I thought of combining the, my love for writing with, with the illustrations. It, it, I mean, I'm pretty slow on the uptake. It took me until my <laughs> mid thirties to, to realize that, that that might be a good thing to do. And, um, and since I have, it's, it's pretty much changed my life. I'm, I feel very blessed that now I'm doing the job, um, that I love the thing that I think I'm really, you know, here to do. It's the thing that I'm best at. And, um, yeah, it's all going pretty well. So I'm sure something awful will happen now. I shouldn't even have mentioned it, but, oh, um, no, no, we won't uh, go there. We won't go there. It'll, <laughs> it'll keep on. Yeah, looking. Yeah. The book is, the book looks fantastic. Um, as I said, I'm halfway through it. It's, uh, it reads well, the comics are brilliant. Um, so all, all the very best of luck with it and keep up the great work. David Squires. Thanks a million. Thanks so much. Cheers, Andrew. If you want to follow David on Twitter, it is Squires underscore David. That's Squires underscore David. And thank you very much indeed to him for uh, taking the time to talk to me. The book is fantastic. It's out next week. And it's one of those books that if you're looking for something to get the football fan in your life for Christmas and you're going, what the hell am I going to get them? They can't give it to many more. Saul Campbell socks. Just can't do it another year. This is the book. I'm telling you, everyone will love this. It's the Illustrated History of Football, published by Century. It's out next week, but we've got some copies to give away. Two copies, to be exact, uh, with thanks to the publishers. Uh, I guess we better do a history question. So tell me, um, what year did Arsenal first win the league championship? What year did Arsenal first win the first division, not the Premier League, the uh, very first league title in the club's history? Send your answer to me, please, at competition at arsblog.com. That's competition at arsblog.com. Winners will be chosen at random and announced on next week's show. Right, still to come, we've got more book stuff. We're also going to be talking to another guest, double guest this week. We're going to take a guest with a more Arsenal flavor in a few moments' time. But just want to talk to you about FanDuel, one-day fantasy football. Check it out at fanduel.co.uk. You can win real money. This week, we are entering 
the £5,000 fan favourite, £750 top prize. You can sign up at fanduel.co.uk and if you use the code ARSBLOG, the promo code ARSBLOG, they will refund you up to £10, your first entry fee. There are loads of games on there. You can win money in many different ways, but as I said, we're playing the £5,000 fan favourite this week. Uh, The team that I have picked is uh, Bravo, because everyone needs a few lols from their goalkeeper. Klein, Amat, some guy called Smith. I think he plays for Bournemouth. Uh, Mesut Ozil, Hazard, Iwobi and Kapu in midfield. And up front, Lukaku, Alexis Sanchez and Jonathan Walters, because I ran out of money. And that was it. So uh, he was like the almost cheapest striker you can get. But Stoke are playing somebody that he could score against. So you never know. So check it out. Fanduel.co.uk. You can download their apps for iOS and for Android. You get all the details on the site. And when you sign up and deposit money, use the promo code ARSPLOG. And if you don't win, Fanduel will refund you up to £10 on your first entry. So go for it. Fanduel.co.uk. Now told you that we had more bookie stuff on the um on the show this week and that's true and this is it so you know players write autobiographies all the time but this is uh this is a guy who played for us he was loved by some he frustrated many but alexander Kleb has written his uh, his first book now it is only being published in belarus Uh, at this moment in time, but we've done a deal with the publishers whereby we can take some extracts from the book and recreate them in audio style. So that is what we've done. This is an extract from the uh, biography of Alexander Kleber, which is called uh, Side to Side, My Life in Football, and he talks about his very first day at Arsenal. Like any player... The first morning when you come to training at a new club can be nerve-wracking. Arsenal had done as much as they could to ensure I knew where I was going, how to get to the training ground which is hidden down a country lane. If you didn't know it was there, you'd drive right past it, thinking it was simply the driveway of some Duke's country residence. I wanted to get there early. I have a real problem with being late. It makes my neck itch even thinking about it. Perhaps I was too anxious, because I was the first there. Well, I thought I was. I went into the changing room to put my stuff down, and from behind, somebody jumped out at me. Hello! He screamed. Well, I nearly did what we call a Belarusian torpedo in my pants. I turned around and saw Emmanuel Adibayor. You scared me, I said. I'm Adibayor, he replied, not even acknowledging the incident. Do you like to dance? What? I said. I wasn't sure what was going on. Dance! I love to dance, he said, before grabbing me by the waist and waltzing me around the dressing room, before I even knew what was happening. I laughed nervously. Lots of things happen in the dressing room at a football club, but this was a first for me, and I'd even seen Igor Skiskinski come to training at Bade Borisov dressed as a transvestite Chewbacca. I thought he would stop as we skimmed over the floor. To be fair to him, he was a very good dancer, keeping perfect time with the music that he was now singing out loud, but... He would not let go. It was like an uncomfortably long handshake, and now he was gazing into my eyes. I didn't know what to do. I knew this was going to be my teammate, and on my first day I didn't want to make any enemies. I tried to pull away, but he held me tighter. It was beginning to hurt. Dance! Dance! He muttered under his breath. I was starting to get a little bit scared. Then worried they were all playing a practical joke on the new boy. I was expecting an initiation, but nothing like this. Just then, a voice cried out, Emmanuel, stop it! 
He let me go so quickly I tumbled to the ground. How many times have I told you about this? Said Arsene Wenger, the man who had just signed me. Adebayor said nothing. How many times? He asked again. Many times, Adebayor replied eventually. This is your last warning, said Wenger. After the Rosicki incident? Well, let's not even think about that. I looked at Wenger as if to say, what happened to Rosicki? But he rolled his eyes in a don't-even-go-there-sister kind of way. After he went off to prepare training, I gathered my thoughts and went over to Adi Bayor. Hi, I'm Alex, I said, wanting to introduce myself to mend any potential wounds. No, he replied, running a finger across his throat in classic playground style. You're a dead man is what you are, a dead man, before leaving the dressing room in a flourish. I stood there shell-shocked. I must have had a familiar look on my face because next in was Gilberto Silva. He took one look at me and said, Ah, I see you've met Adi Bayor. Don't worry about him. He's a wanker. Gilberto was always the wisest man in the dressing room. There you go. We may well have further extracts from that book in the weeks to come. Side to Side, My Life in Football by Alex Hleb. Now, I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast for the first time this season, the one and only Gunnar Hollick. Hello there. Good evening, Andrew. Thanks very much for asking me again. My pleasure as always. So look, let's uh, let's have a bit of Arsenal chatter because the rest of this podcast has been me sort of talking nonsense. Um, so i got to give the people what they want a little bit. Um the, I'm going to say it's better nonsense than most. Well, thanks. I'm not sure, you know, sort of, the bar is quite low, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Um, the the Borough game last weekend, uh, a bit disappointing because obviously we were all expecting a win. But, you know, could we take perhaps a little bit of a positive from it in the sense that when we go to play teams like Borough again, uh, like Burnley did a few weeks previously, we know that they're going to try and set up in this defensive way, that they know that if you do it right, and it's not easy to do it right, I think we should make that point, that it's not necessarily easy to defend like that for 90 minutes. But if they do, you know, they can frustrate Arsenal. I mean, it's it's a sign perhaps for Arsene Wenger that he's got to do a little bit of thinking about how to get around this. Uh, yeah, we've, I think I wrote the following morning that we've seen this game before and <laughs> many, many times. Um, but it's kind of only Burnley and Middlesbrough so far this season where we've kind of been taken to the wire and Burnley, we did nick the winner at the end. I thought Middlesbrough did play a lot better than I was expecting them to, having seen their results beforehand. I hadn't seen a lot of them playing, just a few highlight snippets on Match of the Day. Mm. But actually, they were very well organised. They did have those two banks of four, didn't leave the little, the space in between that we've been kind of executing in during the course of this season, where you've got a front four who have been very good at getting in and around teams. There just weren't the spaces there for us for the large part. The encouragement that I took from it, though, was that we did once or twice look to take some pot shots from outside of the area. El Nenny, I remember, in the first half, whacked one just wide. Mm. Alexis had one in the second, I think. So we are... Uh, we look as though we're thinking a bit more about it. And I think 
let's hope we were just unlucky on Saturday and it's not indicative of mm. more to come. Yeah, I mean, I'd go back, I'd say probably the Southampton game as well. Uh, earlier in the season, we won that very late. Um, I mean, I don't think Southampton played the same way Borough played, for example, but that was another game that went pretty pretty close to the wire. Uh, the return of Olivier Giroud in midweek, I mean, he didn't manage to score. He came very close to scoring, actually, against Reading in the EFL Cup. But the, the return of him to the squad certainly gives us this plan B, doesn't it? Because for, for years, for a number of seasons now, he has been our plan A, and we've been bemoaning the fact that there is no plan B. And now with Alexis up front and Iwobi, Ozil, Walcott scoring, Giroud becomes a, a very legitimate plan B and a very effective one as well. I know that people were talking about him before the, uh, you know, while Alexis is doing what he does, immediately the guy who, who's he's kind of yesterday's news as if he's somehow useless to us. But I think that's very far from the case. Oh, absolutely. I'm in full agreement. I think you know that I think very highly of him. And it's unfortunate, actually, that he came back against Reading and not Borough because he would have given us an option that we sorely we didn't have last Saturday. But yeah, as you say, against Reading, he came on, got a fairly decent header in, called a good save out the goalkeeper. Um, yes, I think at the moment he probably is a plan B until he gets himself up to full pay, full match fitness. And then I think he's a genuine contestant for a starting role in certain games. Mm. But it's nice to have that option. It's nice to know that we now don't have to play him into the ground as we have done in the last couple of years because we have found another way of playing. And it, it actually, I think, with those four we've got at the moment, it they've put the fun back into the way we play if you know what I mean we've we've sort of heard a lot of people say what an attractive side we are in the last couple of years but those of us who go every week it's uh, no we haven't been for a long long time but yeah I think we're doing very well without him and I hope we do even better with him once Mm. he's fit again I think that's a really good point about the football we've been playing this season you know results have obviously energised people and and uh I, I guess, restored a little bit of faith in the team. You know, and when you look back in it, I know that th- this is a team that finished second last season, you know, um, in the cold light of day. But, you know, we all went through that last season and, and experienced the frustration of it. And we're wondering, well, how how is he going to get this team playing like an Arsene Wenger team again? How is he going to do that? And it was kind of hard to see how it was going to happen. But obviously, uh, after a relatively sl- slow start to the season, the combination seem to be working. Um, you know, Alexis is our chief assist maker. Theo Walcott's got eight goals already. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has got five goals despite being relatively peripheral. Mesut Ozil is scoring goals. Alexis is scoring goals. And there just does seem to be more to our football. It's more Arsenal-like than we've seen for, for quite some time. Absolutely. And the, the possibly the key to it, and it kind of fell into Arsene's lap because we saw last season Theo Walcott, I think a fair few of us thought we'd seen the last of him in an Arsenal shirt, but it's by his own admission, he looked very hard at himself in the summer and the, the effort he's put into improving his game is noticeable and it's been marked from pre-season really. Mm. So uh, that has been a, a significant part of what's made us better because if we'd been looking to fill that right wing role in another way then the chances are it could have been that we would have played Lucas out there or we'd have switched 
uh, Alexis out there and played Lucas up front. I don't know how much more successful that would have been mm. or if it would have been at all. And, of course, we're not going to find out for about six weeks now after what yeah. that Reading substitute did to Lucas. Yeah, that's a shame. That really is a mm. shame for him. And it was, it's one of those frustrating tackles, wasn't it, where you go, there's no need... There's mm. no need to do that. I know you just come on, you want to put yourself about a bit, but it was, um, yeah, that, that's a shame. Hopefully now it won't be as long as six weeks, but uh, it does look like he, he's going to miss a little bit. But, you know, one door closes for somebody, the door opens for somebody else. And I guess timing-wise, it's good that, that Olivier Giroud is back. Now, here's, mm. here's let me ask you this. You know, we are playing far better football. It's much more enjoyable to watch. We are unbeaten since the opening day of the season. I think the unbeaten run is 13 games. Yeah. We've kept seven clean sheets in our last eight games, which is a fantastic record across all competitions. And yet, this part of me is a little, just a little bit worried about the way that opposition, uh, the opposition are getting chances. Now, they're missing the chances, which is great. Uh, they're, they're still getting a few too many chances for my liking, though. Is that something that concerns you? Um, it does if we are going to face sides who play the same sort of way that Ludgoretz and Middlesbrough did against us because it's all very well being critical of a team playing with eight or nine players back. But both of those sides had three absolute greyhounds on the break. Mm. Um, and it was perhaps noticeable against Middlesbrough in particular when we didn't have Santi Cazola. You expected Elneny and Coquelin to be a bit more solid in front of the back four. But in fact, they were bypassed with relative ease. Um, so def the defending starts from the front, really. I have no problem with the way the back four has been playing as such, but I do think they were exposed to pace on both those occasions. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Arsene Wenger said something about the better we attack, the better we defend, which, of course, you know, makes makes a lot of sense. You know, mm. if you're attacking well and you're up the other end of the pitch, then your defenders don't have a, a great deal to do. But, you know, I think back to the Burnley game and Sam Vokes missed a great chance. They also hit the bar. Uh, you look at the Southampton game, Shane Long missed a lot of chances. PSG in the Champions League. Uh, Cavani, thankfully, was an absolute donkey that night. Uh, and even against Borough, I think they hit the bar and also missed a fantastic chance to, to go ahead. And it does make your life yeah. much more difficult. So it's something that, that concerns me slightly, particularly when we're going into a game this weekend against uh, a team that I guess will have no other option than to play the way that, that Borough did and the way that Burnley did. Even in front of their own supporters, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're, having a, they're having a miserable time of it. Um, in terms of pace up front, though, have they got much out-and-out -out pace? Jermaine Defoe is um, probably not quite as quick as he was. Um, I'm, I'm not as concerned by Sunderland as I was or as I proved to be after the game against Middlesbrough, <laughs> which is may, which may be a clue. Of Captain hindsight. About. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, can I have Sunday's paper today, please? Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're not too worried about this one. I just have this weird feeling about this game. Now, I hope I'm obviously hope I'm completely wrong, but it's one of those where you go, oh, they, they've been so terrible. They've been so bad, and Moyes is having such a nightmare that it just feels. I've just I have this bad feeling about it. But again, I could be, I could be completely wrong. I mean, do do you feel that he's going to continue with 
uh, Alexis up front, uh, or or is it a game he might think if Sunderland are going to play that way, then I could start with Giroud, uh, or or does Giroud then remain that Plan B that if if they do frustrate us after an hour, you you throw him on. Yeah, and I would, I would until he's got himself back to full fitness, I would certainly be going into a game where we're looking to keep a run going, basically, rely on the players who have got us to this stage mm. because we're not overusing them as yet. You know, and we've given Alexis a rest in the week. We've given the first 11 a rest in the week, basically. So, no, I would definitely start with Giroud on bench. Mm. But, you know, every half hour he gets is going to get him that little bit closer to where he needs to be. So I would expect to see him on about 65, what's the mythical figure, 67 minutes these days? Something like that. I guess the average <laughs> would work out. He's varying it up a little bit these days. You know, it could be could be 62, could be 68, you know, sometimes 71. Minx, yeah, exactly. You know, he, he likes to keep us guessing, uh, I have yeah. to say. Um, and then, of course, you know, we've got to look ahead to, you know, to next week. And there's obviously a very big, a very big game next weekend. And, um, you know, keeping this momentum going is going to be hugely important. Absolutely. I think this is uh, probably the most unpredictable derby game for a long time. It'd be interesting if we could be the ones who could stop this absolutely absurd chatter at the moment about them being invincible (laughs) after, what, eight, nine matches? Didn't they do that last year? Watching them for the last 50 odd years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't they do that last year with with Chelsea? Yes, they did some, yeah, so there was some... I think, I think they made it past August just about, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, something like that. It is, it is going to be one of those, uh, one of those derbies. But I mean, they, they are always unpredictable, unpre- uh, uh, even when we've got the best players against, uh, you know, let, let's say a lesser opposition on paper. You, yeah. you could never really, you could never really tell. But look, um, we'll keep fingers crossed, then obviously that we can do the business against Sunderland, and uh, we can look forward to that game uh, next week. Gunnar Hollick, uh, thanks very much. Thank you very much for having me again. You know where to find him on Twitter at the Gunaholic. That is at the Gunaholic. Or of course you can check out what he has to say on the blog, Gunaholic.co.uk. That's Gunaholic.co.uk. So look, that's that's really about it. We've done everything we said we were going to do. We've done the book stuff, we've done the competition, we've looked ahead to the Sunderland game, and I don't know what else there is to say. Uh, other than I hope we really win. I really hope we win. I hope we win really. All of those. Uh, That would make our weekends an awful lot better because we do have next week a trip to uh, Bulgaria to play Ludogorets in the Champions League. And then, then we have got a North London derby on Sunday at midday. That's a really rubbish time for a fucking North London derby, but there you go. Uh, that's what's happening next Sunday. So it's going to be an exciting week. James and I will be here with the Arscast Extra for you on Monday. We'll look back at the Sunderland game ahead to the Ludogorets game. Um, so join us for that. Please remember, if you do listen to the podcast on iTunes, if you leave a rating or a review, it really helps us in the iTunes charts, and that makes uh, our lives easier for myriad reasons that I don't need to go into. So if you felt like leaving a review or a rating, that would be greatly appreciated. You don't have to. But just if you felt like it, that'd be great. So thanks as ever for listening. Have a great weekend. Let's hope Arsenal could do the business for us. And I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
So, a uh, pretty disappointing result there today, aren't I? Yeah, it's bleeding terrible out there. And I tell you what, that manager, that manager is an absolute fraud. I tell you this, buddy, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Right, listen to me, chief, I'm telling you, he's just a busted flush, right? And the money that he's on, I could do it for half that. I do twice as good a job for half the money. You can laugh all you want, Sham, but I'm dead serious here. He's just taking us down. There's, we're going nowhere. There's no future under this bloke. Tell you, Squire, it's just over. There's no hope for us. There's no, we might as well just all go home. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess, but actually, there's the manager right there in his car. Ah, uh, right, boss. <laughs> How's it going over there? Yeah? Looking pretty swish. Nice wheels, mate. Like it. Uh, think we could get a picture with you there? Would that be alright, yeah? Would you, mate, will you take a day of pictures? Thanks. That'd be great. Can I put my arm around you a little bit? Would you mind if I nuzzled your ear? Do you want me phone number? Please, can we be friends? Please? Like I said, mate, he's a busted flush. Doesn't know what he's doing. He's just making it up as he goes along. And we're the ones that are suffering, right? Can't take any more of him, mate. Gotta get him out. Gotta get him out.